Good afternoon. Hey, Becca, we were thinking that was funny. You probably don't know this, but every time you've held that flashlight back and said, we're going to go to kids camp this week, it was that creepy face that every father does uh, by shining the light under his, under his chin. It was great. So the kids are going to get scared to death uh, at camp, apparently. Well, my name's Tim Bryant. I serve as an elder around here, and uh, I uh, once in a while get to uh, share a word. And I thank, want to thank Jason for that, uh, for making room and space. I see I have a Father's Day card up here I'm afraid to read before I go on, so I'll probably just wait till afterwards since it's from Ben. Um, but this week we're continuing our Man of Action series in the study of the book of Mark. Uh, but before I do that, I just want to take a minute to honor fathers. Um, shout out to all the fathers in the room. How many fathers do we have in the room? Congratulations. We love you guys. You all are men of action, and uh, we honor you today. Being a father has been one of my life's works, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It has been uh, some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows and some of the deepest uh, joys of my life. We have uh, four grown children, um, and they make us very happy Angie and I are very proud of them. So in honor of Father's Day this afternoon, here's what we're going to do. Okay, a three-legged dog walks into a bar and says to the bartender, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. Thank you. Did you hear about the guy who invented Lifesavers? They say he made a mint. You know, whenever the cashier at the grocery store asked my dad if he would like milk in the bag, he replies, no, just leave it in the carton. So why do chicken uh, chicken coops only have two doors? Well, because if they had four doors, they'd be chicken sedans. Thank you, thank you. You know, I used to have a job in a a calendar factory, but I got fired because I took a couple of days off. Oh, me. And the last one, if you would, please, drummer. Let's finish this big. I had a dream that I was a muffler last night, and I woke up exhausted. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. So Sunday afternoon's the time when I do my thank you notes. Um, you don't mind? No, I'm just... Anyway, no, this morning we had a great time. Angie came downstairs, and I was cooking some breakfast, and... She said, Happy Father's Day, and uh, I was smiling, and she said, uh, she said, this is a good day for you. She said, uh, today you're getting, one, you're getting your favorite thing. Um, and, and she said, uh, I don't even have to buy you a Father's Day present today. You're getting your favorite thing. And so I'm thinking, wow, this beautiful wife of mine of 38 years knows how much I love uh, digging into the Word Um, Am I going to have to separate you guys over here in the corner? We need to have busy hands and listening ears. So, (laughs) yeah, I know I can tell. So, um, anyway, I'm thinking she knows how much I've put into this, poured my heart into it, brought the word out. She knows, my wife knows me well. She knows how much I love this body and how I want to bring forth uh, something that honors God. And so I looked at her and I said, so I'm getting my favorite thing today. What is that? And she says, everyone's attention. 
And I said, thank you, darling. Thank you, darling. You know, Angie's not really a cynical person, um, and there's not really a sarcastic bone in her body, but being married to me for all these years, she has honed that gift a little bit, and sometimes she really knows exactly what to say to me. So anyway, um, last week we were in Mark 4, and uh, Jason expounded on the sower and the seed and reminded us that it's the sower's job to sow not to necessarily work or test all the soils around or do any of that sort of thing, but to sow, whether it's on concrete or the sidewalk or in the good field or in the good soil, um, our job as the sower is sowing. And as you may recall, as he always does, he did an excellent job and he dug into like, what, 20 verses or something like that. And so this week we're back in Mark 4 and Jason has given me five verses, um, which is not uncommon, actually. Uh, uh, Brian Worthy pointed out that that's one more verse than he gave me in February when I shared in Proverbs. So I think we're making progress. And Hudson came up to me afterwards today and just said, man, that was such a good word. I'm thinking you're probably going to get six, maybe seven verses next time. So anyway, thank you, Jason, for, uh, for that. <clears throat> the cool thing is in these next few verses something occurs that changes the entire world. It changes everything. And so Jesus is here to make that transition, and the disciples are, of course, clueless. Uh, But anyway, it is amazing what's really tied up in these these next five verses. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed to a large crowd. He even got into a boat and and sat down and talked to them. But later in verse 11, he tells his disciples this, um, Mark four eleven says, he replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Now that sounds strange for Uh, the Messiah who came to save the world to say these things but I think we'll see a little bit about why in a moment but those words are from Isaiah chapter 9 and they're part of the prophetic promise of the coming Messiah so let's turn to our uh, our uh, um, text today in Mark 4 21 and if I could have my assistant from this morning join me again or oh okay I have my oldest son join me instead. Do you know what to do? Okay. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. Thank you so much. You like the, uh, yeah. Would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. We'll put it over here so I don't knock it over. And there's one more piece that my, uh, my lovely assistant forgot, but that we will also add. Yes, I know. Pay close attention is the name of this sermon, by the way. So... For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, 
and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's, uh, uh, it's amazing what, what's in there, in the depths of your word. And Lord, we pray that today as we dig in, you'll give us revelation and understanding beyond anything, Lord, we've seen before, and that you would help us to understand what it means to be a light in this world, in this very dark place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A young boy of about nine went with his parents to Europe one summer. And part of their tour included visits to the great old cathedrals of the past. He visited cathedral after cathedral and he was amazed at the enormous halls and the ceilings that seemed so far away and the spires that seemed to reach to the sky as high as heaven itself. He was particularly fascinated by the beautiful and massive stained glass portraits of the disciples and of the saints. And upon returning to church, he was asked by his Sunday school teacher about the great churches of Europe and what he liked the most about them. He thought for a moment and he said, I loved the sense of awesomeness and the hugeness of who God must be. And I loved how beautiful the saints were. His teacher smiled and asked him, and what is a saint? His mind went back to those massive, beautiful stained glass windows, and he said thoughtfully, a saint is a person that the light shines through. You see, we have no light of our own, but the light of Jesus should shine through us to a lost and dying world. In Mark 4, Jesus was beginning to teach this ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots, what their role was going to be to let the light shine through them. So Jesus taught in parables, and in time, at times maybe even seems like he was confusing people, and yet um, think about what was going on. Jesus had come to do a work. He had come to die on the cross. He had come to be the sacrifice once and for all. He didn't need lines and lines of people coming down to get saved. He he hadn't done the work yet. He needed the disciples to learn and to listen and understand what was about to happen because they were the ones who were going to take this message to the rest of the world. They were the ones who were going to light this world on fire. So what is the purpose of light? Light exposes and dispels darkness. In fact, the first words that God spoke that we have a record of are in uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. And if you could maybe bring the lights down a little bit and let's, uh, let's talk about this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. 
And uh, may Brian, if we could get some formless and empty uh, music playing in the background there, that would be helpful, I think, probably. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 2, we find the hope of the Messiah. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Hallelujah. So later on in Malachi, we find the Old Testament ends with a promise. A note of expectation, the promise of the return of Elijah the prophet, who would bring families together and soften the hearts of the people, turning the hearts of the children to their parents and But what we have is 400 years from Malachi all the way out to this beginning of the New Testament. 400 years of darkness and persecution and oppression. During that time, the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans all ruled over Israel. But finally, the deafening silence was shattered by the voice of John the Baptist calling in the wilderness... Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which brings us back to the text in Mark 4. We find Jesus teaching the crowds with parables and telling the disciples that they are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom. And then he moves into the parable of the lamp. The very next story he tells and he indicates to them and to us that the secret of the kingdom shouldn't be and certainly won't be a secret very long. Verse 22 says, For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to the light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even the little understanding they have will be taken away from them. In, um, in NIV, uh, it uses a picture of a measure. So to the measure that you understand, more will be given to you. Uh, But it's not a measure like, you know, the Pharisees where, you know, they were looking to see if you were measuring up and that sort of thing. It's talking about the 
the basic utensil you use to dig into what God's saying. So if you use a teaspoon to dig into the Word of God once in a while, um, then your understanding's probably going to be pretty small. If you use a shovel to dig in a little bit deeper, it's going to grow and be bigger. If you use a basket or a bushel basket to dig in, God's promise to you is, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more understanding. But if you're not paying attention, um, if, you're, uh, if you're just one of those Jesus take the wheel when the car is spinning around, then you're going to have little understanding. I mean, that's just a promise. That's the way it is. But the other thing that I want to point out here is in verse 22. Um, Everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into the open. Every secret will be brought to the light. I used to think that was like sin or something. Like sooner or later, I was going to be found out. Sooner or later, we're going to have this big meeting in heaven and uh, they're going to show everybody my list of sins. And, um, and then we'll go through it and everybody will get that. Well, that's silly. That's, that's childish thoughts. Um, it would explain why heaven would take eternity, but um, it doesn't make any sense otherwise. And so really what's going on in verse 22 is, is Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and that every secret will be brought to light. So the things that the people didn't understand, revelation will come. And even the disciples themselves, who were basically clueless, they were all young men, probably most of them under 20. So they were all teenagers. <clears throat> and they're all just, you know, having a good time and listening to God and then listening to Jesus' stories and correcting him when he needs correcting and telling him what he ought to be doing and what he ought not to be doing and promising him that they'd never, uh, never, for, uh, uh, never deny him. And Jesus says, pay close attention. So Jesus had a purpose and a plan. The transition was occurring right before the disciples' eyes, even if they didn't see it. Pay close <coughs> attention. Let's go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. I had a water around here too somewhere, Angie. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1.10 says, Thank you, wow, my lovely assistant. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay, so you got these prophets who are writing down this stuff about the coming Messiah. So one of them is Isaiah, and he's probably going, okay, Lord, is this coming soon? Will I get to see this? What's going to happen? When? When? When is this going to occur? <clears throat> And the Lord revealed to them and to other prophets that he was serving another generation, a future generation. But look at this last verse or the last wording there. It says, even angels long to look into these things. To me, that, that has always fascinated me. 
that we get to know things and get to see things and get to do things that angels have longed for and have longed to know. That's just fascinating. And so according to God's plan, the prophecies of old were being fulfilled. John the Baptist had come as a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and on. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord had punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wastelands for our God. Fill the valleys in and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. For the Lord has spoken. I mean, we're talking about stuff that people have longed for for years and years and years. And it was all coming together. (laughs) As I said this morning, I have this picture of Jason and the the Godspell team coming up the aisles now singing, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Will you sing it with me, Jason? I thought you might not. That's why I didn't call you, because I thought, if I ever hear that song again, I will never. Yeah, anyway. So Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. Jesus came that the captives would be released and the blind would see and that the oppressed would be set free. John 14, 18. (coughs) Okay. I'm not emotional. I'm just choking. Wish it were the other way around, perhaps. Pay close attention. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets and become the sacrifice once for all. Oh my goodness. This is nice. Let's look at that. Hebrews 10, verse 1. Here we are again. Now we're talking about all the promises that have happened and all the promises that are being fulfilled. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once and for all, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And in verse 9, Jesus says, well, they quote Jesus as saying, Then I looked, look, I have come to do your will. And he cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
In John 18, verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light that leads to life. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Pay close attention. Light. Light shines or shines through. Light makes clear. Light helps things grow. Light shows the way. In Matthew 5, Jesus calls us the light. Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The saints are the people that the light shines through. You know, I, I, um, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been in all those kids' meetings, all those youth meetings where you're supposed to go on the mission field. I've uh, been in all those adult meetings where if you weren't going to India or Pakistan, well, not Pakistan, um, if you weren't going to India or uh, Ecuador or somewhere, you know, you just maybe weren't quite doing the right things. And uh, I want to tell you that if you were doing those things, God bless you and that's a good thing. <clears throat> but you're on a mission field everywhere you are. You're on a mission field if you go to dinner tonight in downtown Asheville. You're on a mission field when you go to work tomorrow morning. You're on a mission field at all times, and the light should shine through us. The other thing that I always worried about was that I wasn't a street preacher. I didn't know the right things to say. I wasn't the one who goes down and and, um, beats my Bible and that sort of thing. And I don't want to uh, downplay the importance. Maybe somebody in here was saved in that kind of meeting, but... I really wasn't. I mean, I was saved in a meeting with a guy that the light was shining through. He was telling me the truth and I was responding. Pay close attention. So let's talk about the absence of light for a minute. The absence of light is darkness. And up until this point, the people in the world had walked in darkness and yet now the light was among them. But what happens in darkness? So Brian, if you could bring those lights back down, let's talk about that a minute. You might want to just close your eyes a minute and just think about this. You're in a small underground chamber, no bigger than a prison cell. The door is locked and the lights are switched out. It's not just dark, it's pitch black. In these conditions, it would be impossible to see even the faintest hint of your hand were it inches from your eyes. And the silence is all-encompassing. The only noise you can hear is the sound of your own breathing, in and out, in and out. And that doggone air conditioner. Sorry, that's not in here. 
The sense of isolation is not just eerie. It's as if you've been cast into the furthest reaches of space or the deepest subterranean cavern. Now imagine staying in these conditions for hours on end with no way of telling whether it's night or day. Would you pass the time asleep? Or if awake, would you stay alert in the absence of a single sight or sound or stimulus? Could any human, in fact, endure such a total sensory deprivation without losing their mind? In 2008, British scientists sought to discover in one of the most extreme and controversial experiments to be conducted on the human mind. They put a group of six volunteers into a total isolation chamber constructed in a former nuclear bunker in Hertfordshire to monitor the effects it would have on their mind and their physical health over 48 hours. The risks were considerable. Similar experiments carried out in the 50s by a Canadian psychologist had been abandoned after volunteers were unable to endure the conditions for more than 48 hours. After 30 hours, one participant began to pace back and forth. After 40 hours, he saw a pile of oyster shells in his cell. And then the bottom of the room began falling away. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Pay close attention. Just like in Isaiah 9, there are people who still walk in darkness. You can read. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, we are the light and we must put it on a lampstand. Why is it though? It gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all men to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Back to our experiment, there was an unexpected outcome. One participant said, when we arrived at the bunker before the experiment, I had thought it was all just rather bleak. The exterior was overgrown and the bunker was an eyesore. But when I left 48 hours later, I noticed how green the grass was. how blue the sky was, and that there were hundreds of yellow buttercups. It was staggeringly beautiful. Even washing my hands under tap water was amazing. And I made a vow that I would never not notice and appreciate my surroundings again. Do you remember that moment in time when you saw the light? When you got it finally? When... I, I, my parents drugged me to church. I had a drug problem when I was a young man. My parents drugged me to church. 
And um, a lot of you may sometimes have that same feeling or same problem. All I can tell you is one day I got drugged to church and there was an argument in the car and I was mad. And all I can say is when the guy spoke and he talked, it touched my heart. And I said, I want some of that. I want to be in that place. So when you go from darkness, remember that moment, you go from darkness into light. All the, all the Bible verses are cool. All your prayers are answered. Everything's exciting. Do you know what it's like to be around that new Christian? Have you seen one lately? It's a lot of fun. Unfortunately, we always like to say things like, well, you'll get over that. How sad is that? We should all be like Joe Roswich, who drives me crazy. And I told him so. He drives me crazy because he's like a new Christian every single day I meet him. And the word's just coming up out of him. And he sends me these texts and he's always encouraging. Oh, I can't stand it. He's always reaching out. He's always smiling. He's always that guy that I want to be. Pay close attention. So let's go back to our verses. It's Mark 4, 24. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given. And you'll receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, hello. For those who are not listening, even what you have will be taken from you. Now, I didn't know this until I, Angie actually mentioned it uh, sometime last night, but do you know that there is something in the world of sociology called the Matthew effect? The term was coined by a sociologist named Robert Merton in 1968. And the Matthew effect is about accumulated advantage. What does that mean? The Matthew effect or accumulated advantage is the phenomenon where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And so some guy took a verse out of Matthew and applied it to a thing in all of sociology. And what was he talking about? Well, what he was talking about was in, in research, if you have, let's say you have a team of six people in research, when you present your paper, the most senior person on the team will get the credit, even if the research was done by an intern. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That is not what this scripture is talking about. But it is interesting to see how the world perceived that thought process that if you have something, you'll get more. And if you have nothing, you'll get even less. I think it's a misappropriation myself. In, uh, in education, it's applied a little differently, but it, with a similar effect. In learning to read, and my wife is an expert at teaching this subject, for example, students who tend to understand early principles and are able to build on them, and their understanding grows exponentially compared to students who don't understand and who don't get 
the early principles. So it's that same picture in public school of the kid who gets left behind, no child left behind, gets left behind or drug along. In school I had a drug problem too because my, my teachers drugged me from first grade to second grade to third grade. Um, and in some places I was getting it, in some places I was not. Angie asked me not to talk too much about that. But uh, the reason I'm willing to talk about that is because I am a smart person. I do know something about life. I do know things, and I can read, and I can learn. But my public education taught me that I had the ability but didn't apply myself. That's what they wrote on my report card, which was kind of a message to my teachers, or from my teacher to my parents saying, Tim's not stupid, but he's stupid here. What if this scripture is actually talking about how how willing you are to dig into the Word of God, how willing you are to to take more and more and more. What if the more you do that, the promise from God is, the more I will give you. And in that case, I can accept the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So if Doreen would uh, join us with the worship team back on stage, we'll wrap this up. By the way, Doreen, and I, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but girl, when you shifted in that chain to that high note last time, there were chains on me that fell off I didn't even know I had. That was excellent. That was excellent. Goosebumps and all. The people who walk in darkness need to see a great light. And that great light shines through us. The very same reason that Jesus was trying to get the disciples to stop being knuckleheads and wrap their understanding around what really was going on and what was really about to happen and what was going to change the entire world. It is the same for us today. There's some crazy things happening in this dark world we live in. This week has been a nightmare. May we respond rightly and let his light shine through us. We live in a dark town. May we show them the light of the world and the hope that he brings. No Bible thumping, no denigration, no yelling, just light. And love. And finally, and I I say that only because it gives some of you hope that I'm going to hush in a minute here. As we close, uh, I want to consider that it's our job to shine that light before men now. It's our job. So how do we do that? Well, well, we need each other, number one. Um, It's real. I mean, there's no magic here. It is simply being who you are in Christ.
It's simply being who you are. And, and the, uh, just like the blind man, I mean, who they were trying to say, who sinned that you were blind? And he said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. How can anyone argue with you about that? And that's how we let the light shine through us. But there's another thing I want to show you. Because there are some people who think that, um, that we don't necessarily need a lot of everything else. We don't need each other, maybe, sometimes. We don't need... Um, I mean, we can just do it on our own. And, and, and Jason said it interestingly this morning. He said, uh, you get to a place where you think you can do this without others. This Christian walk without others. And then you come to a place where you think you can do the Christian walk without Christ. That makes no sense at all. And you know that. But when we turn ourselves away from each other, when we hide, when we aren't willing to, uh, to let the light shine together, then this is what happens to us ultimately. And I think you know where this is going, and there it goes now. The light is gone. Ephesians 5.1 says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma. Let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral or impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ or God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, you were full of darkness. But now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So as we close today, um, if you need some prayer, we'll have some people as we normally do over here, and I'll be over on this side. We're if you need uh, to to uh, I, it doesn't matter what it is. If you need healing, you need a touch, you need somebody to help you understand that God's forgiven you, or you want to ask God to forgive you, whatever it is, we'll be waiting. <coughs> But put your light on a lampstand and let's learn how to be the people that the light shines through. Amen.